Good morning, everybody. Blessings to all of you again as we jump into this uh, teaching and the sharing of God's Word. I want to say hello to all of my friends, wherever you may be, not only in our church family here in San Francisco, but also in other parts of the world, other parts of the country. Uh, I'm just so grateful and thankful that we can be connected in this moment, sharing this time having church together online differently than maybe we envisioned. And certainly we look forward to the time when we will be able to gather again in presence. But right now, um, you know, I consider it such a, a gift of God's grace to be able to have what we're sharing right now. And even now, Lord Jesus, I, I pray for your blessing that these words, this this study in the scriptures would produce deep life within us. There are so many voices um, speaking out, crying out. Everybody's trying to get our attention. We're living more and more of our life, you know, in the digital highways. And we just need to have a settledness of our soul. And God's word can do that. So let it, let it work in us. Lord, Lord, come among us even now, Lord Jesus, I pray. You know, last week, and our series is up and over, it's about an overcoming life of faith, and we're zeroing in right now on the life of one of the most remarkable people in all of Scripture, a man named Joseph, a young man, really, whose story in the early part of his life has so much for us, so much to teach us. But, you know, I left off uh, the, the, the last week's uh, teaching with a quotation from a, a minister, of, of a different era, a man named Philip Brooks, who said this about character. I want to revisit it real quickly. Brooks wrote, character may be manifested in great moments, but it, it is made in the small ones. That sounds like a simple statement, but it's actually oh, so, so much depth in it. Uh, you know, character oftentimes shows up in these great moments, but where it's really forged is in the places where no one sees the small decisions that we make to honor God, those are the places where, where our character is really developed. And when the heat is on, when everything's on the line, when we have to make big calls, it's the, it's the impact of how we've chosen to live our life in the small and modest places that actually, actually add up and give us the strength to make the hard call it's true. And uh, that's why we really need the Lord's help, right? So that we can, we can be the person he wants us to be when no one is looking. And when it doesn't really matter that much, but it matters between us and God, those things build us. And, you know, life is filled with choices and character, as I just mentioned here, is revealed and forged. It's, it's actually two things happen in these places uh, where we have to make choices. Character gets revealed, it shows up for what it is, and it's also forged, it's also made in those places. In other words, our, our cho choices show us who we are and they make us who we are, both. And there is no greater example in all the scripture besides the Lord himself of this principle at work than Joseph. He was and I mean this in the best sense of the words, he was a beautiful man. He was a beautiful man. He, 
he really showed for forth the character and the the life of someone really who just had the touch of God on him. And um, anyway, let's just jump in. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had bought him. That's what we're told from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Uh, he had become a successful man within the framework of that limitation and that injustice. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master, that is Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Now, it's clear that one of the things that amazed Potiphar, the Egyptian, who would have been a highly superstitious man, was that the blessing that seemed to mysteriously almost divinely accompany the Hebrew was, uh, you know, somehow connected to, to Joseph's God. Um, one must remember that Potiphar was a polytheist, a believer in the Egyptian gods, and there were a lot of them. So whether he recognized that the true source of Joseph's gift was from Joseph's God, or whether he saw Joseph's gift through the lens of his own religious system, the key that is being emphasized in the verse that we just read is the recognition on the part of Potiphar that Joseph was given something unique. It would seem from Joseph's God that Potiphar noted. And it says in verse four that Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him, that is Potiphar made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Now notice how over a span of years, Joseph's scope of responsibility expands. It, it grows. He goes from being a favored servant who tenuously makes his way into some places of responsibility to finally being with Potiphar's blessing, the overseer of the entire estate, his entire household. It's a remarkable rise for a man of such young years, not just in terms of scope, but also in terms of the authority that he was given. He remember he was still, he was still a slave, but uh, he seemed to have been a very prominent, um, prominent man within the household of Potiphar and probably treated much differently than the rest. He had authority. He had power. Verse five, from that time, he made him overseer in his house. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. I mean, every part of Potiphar's business prospered because of Joseph. And it was a reminder, you know, Potiphar, when you bless what God is, is blessing, you, you get the blessing. It's the, it's the principle of scripture that when you, you give a prophet of the Lord um, a cup of water, you get the prophet's blessing. That's a kingdom principle. And there's a lot more depth to it than we realize. Potiphar was being blessed because of Joseph. He himself was a man of great and growing prominence. He was the captain. Don't, don't, don't miss this. He was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. That would have been an absolutely critical and demanding position, a, a position of tremendous pressure and prestige. It was a high stakes position. I mean, you could make a name for yourself and you could get 
burned. You, that position, it, um, it was something that had two sides to it. He, and, you know, but someone who was ambitious, someone who desired power, you would go for it. And it seems that uh, Potiphar was himself uh, a man of exceptional capacity, skill, and focus. And he had a singular assignment, and that was to protect Pharaoh, to protect his well-being. He was the protector of Pharaoh's life. And he had to watch out for the danger that was always near. He had to be consistently, continually uh, on his game. There was no margin for error. He had to know his men. He had to be watching out for political intrigue. He had to be constantly uh, aware. I just don't see this as a position that even would have allowed him to have much time taking care of his own affairs. And so the knowledge that he could entrust the running of his affairs to Joseph, who was such a gifted and trustworthy young man, even though he was a foreigner, um, there seems to have been a bond that was forged. And uh, it, it just meant that Potiphar could do his job without distraction. And so the business of the house, of his household, of his estate, he fully commits to Joseph to such a degree that we are told, and this is an incredible verse, look at it with me, it says he left all that he had, all that he had to Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had, he had no concern, <laughs> he had no concern about anything that, he, that, you know, anything but the food that he ate. It really is a remarkable verse. Joseph knew more about his estate than he did because his mind was on other things. And this is where things could have ended, you guys. This is, this is where um, the story could have closed. Joseph could have re receded with the mass of humanity, great and small, into the pages of history. But it was not to be. One of the things that is pretty clear here is that God is always moving, isn't he? God is always moving. We might see, say that God always has a plan. And that's actually helpful for us right now because, you know, we are in a time of global calamity. We are in a time of national polarization and uh, confusion. And there's so much anger and fear. And the world seems to be turning and churning and... There's a lot of uncertainty and, you know, as all this is happening, we must remember that God is not unaware and he is watching it all and he is working his plans. I think that was very clear if you go back in time, even to the birth of Christ, when on the surface that at that time, it appeared like everything that meant anything was happening in Rome. It was the center of the world's power, the known world's power. And on a whim, the emperor could make, make the world move. And yet the real story had nothing to do with, for example, Caesar Augustus. The real story at the time of the birth of Christ was going on in an obscure village, a place that no one would have even thought of, a stop along a highway system, a town called Nazareth. And the real story was, was what was growing inside of her womb for that child would change the world. No one knew it. No one knew. I mean, I mean, not just like a normal person, which I mean, it would change everything for it was, 
It was God's doing. It was Jesus who was coming to redeem this world and to create a pathway back to God that was not before possible. He, he who reigns over history entered into history so that in a way we could share his story at work in humanity. What, what I'm trying to get at is what often appears to be the big thing is actually not the big thing. And what sometimes is never noticed is God at work. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. God's at work and once in a while he lets us in on it. But I want to shift for a moment. I want us to actually talk about the power of attitude. And I actually think this is quite relevant for where we all are right now. One of the convictions I have in the Lord is that one of the keys for us for going up and over in this unique time that we're facing. And I know that for many of us, this is very hard. We feel deprived. We feel at loss. We feel de depressed and discouraged. Yes, we do. And I'm, I'm going to make the case that, that the key, one of the key ways that we are to overcome in this period is through a chosen stance in our attitude. And the Lord will help us there if we ask him. So if we ask the Lord to help us to have a right attitude, he will help us. But it is impossible not to notice the attitude and ethic that Joseph um, exhibited. It's a part of what makes him such an astonishing example for you and me. Because what is clear, what is evident when you look at the story, when you look at the account, is that Joseph chose not to dwell on the unfairness and, and he did not fixate on the injustice and the pain of his situation. He could have, we wouldn't have blamed him for doing it. Um, we know, we know it was there. We know that, that those wounds that, that were inflicted upon Joseph by his family, by his own people, his own blood, right? His half brothers who sold him into slavery. I mean, we know that wound was in him, the trauma of that moment so powerfully embedded into him. And it's not unlike you and me, there will be, there are things that we've experienced in life. And it's amazing how it is with, with, you know, just being human is, you know, emotions that we think we've dealt with feelings that we think we've, you know, sort of resolved. All it takes sometimes is a picture, a song, um, a wandering in our mind to a memory, and we are right back there. I think it's part of the uniqueness that God made us this way. Um, and all of a sudden, all the feelings are back, just like that. And we're going to see that in the story of Joseph, even though he had put pushed things down and and he had regained a sort of equilibrium, the word that I've been using a lot, the equanimity that was exhibited by Joseph in light of the trauma he had experienced is a lesson in and of itself. But years later, when Joseph comes back into confrontation with his brothers, there will be a moment, it's relayed later on in the book of Genesis, where that rush of feeling, those those. those emotions will overwhelm him and he will weep because it will connect back 
to a pain. So we know it's there. We know it's there. It's just that Joseph had to make a decision. He, he had to choose his attitude. The, and he, he doesn't seem to be walking around. In fact, I, we know he wasn't. He was not walking around as a brooding man, angry, resentful, bitter, although he had every excuse in the world to do it. Because the way he was treated, the experience he had, I mean, he had every reason in the world uh, to, to cut corners, to be a manipulator, to, to give only uh, what he had to give and nothing more. You'll get nothing more from me. But that does not seem to be the way, in fact, it's clear that it wasn't the way that Joseph chose to live his life, even in a foreign land, even in a house that was not of his choosing, even with the confinement uh, that he had, for he was not a free man. He had freedom within the framework of his confinement, and he had authority and he had power, but he was not free. And yet he chose not to allow that confinement of his freedoms to keep him from giving his best unto, as unto the Lord. And it also, you know, and again, that's not to minimize or sanctify injustice um, or the unfairness of what he experienced. But there is something that Joseph can teach us. There is. Oh, and there's one more thing that he did not do. You notice it and you'll see it and it keeps coming up. The absence of this is that he did not blame God for his situation in his life, the unfairness that he had experienced. He didn't blame God. That's obvious. Uh, he, he, in fact, he stubbornly retained his faith in God. You know, he possessed what we might call a, a tenacity of trust. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe there were voices, maybe there were thoughts sometimes like, you know, why not just give up? You know, how could a good God allow this? Maybe some of us have felt that at some times. Um, Maybe we're feeling it now a little bit. I don't know. But Joseph rebelled against his reality and retained his allegiance to God's reality. And that inspires me. It's just like he was not going to be shaken. Nothing was going to shake him from his conviction of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Not even the reality of his situation. You know, Joseph could have so easily wandered into the land of why. And perhaps a few of us may feel we are there now. We are in the land of why. Why did this happen? Why is this happening? Why did this happen to me? Why is the world so full of pain? Why is everybody angry? Where is God? Why didn't he stop it? Why? 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 And we want to cry as we wander into the land of why. And yet, I need to say this, we're not alone. God is now here. God is now here. If you could, just say that with me. Say it with me. Say it to someone you're with. God is now here. God is now here. He is with us. You know, I was thinking about this. And I want you to notice something. 
notice that the letters are exactly the same between uh, well between nowhere and now here they're exactly the same there there's only a difference the difference is is where we place the space between the letters and it changes it the space makes all the difference between nowhere and now here i call that the space of faith it's the difference between nothing and knowing knowing that we are not alone that god is now here when we are tempted to believe that god is nowhere faith responds no god is now here you know i think about jesus he's the most remarkable example of this principle think about it what comes to your mind see jesus hanging on the cross he is alone everyone has turned on him or run away and then the lord as he's hanging hanging for all humanity hanging for you and hanging for me right crucified between two thieves two petty criminals the lord of the universe stripped down and humiliated oh behold the magnanimity of god if we've ever felt humbled if we've ever felt victimized if we've ever felt shamed let us lift our eyes to the lord for he knows it all and he said these words he said my god my god and he said them as a representative christ and my god my god why have you forsaken me and yet he was not forsaken he was not and he continued to hold his faith in the father's faithfulness and his faith held as he hung between listen nowhere and now here and in hanging, he made it possible for God to be now here with us. And there's a divine connection. If we can see it, the ultimate security of God being now here with you and me is Jesus who experienced nowhere so that God could be now here. And I just, I'm just so grateful for that. And I hope we understand that when we know he is here, that it affects how we live our life. Like when I know that, that God is with me, no matter what, when I know the Lord is with me for the Lord is my shepherd. He is. And I shall not want. What does that mean? I shall lack for nothing. All that I need is now here with me, no matter what I'm walking through. What that does is it changes my perspective and it allows me to live in a very different way. And, you know, it has to do with, yes, how we, how we have, um, our life being lived out, the attitude that defines us to it. It affects everything. It affects the way we work. It affects the way we love. It affects the way we relate. It affects the way we retaliate. It affects everything. When we know that God is here, it, it, it changes how we view things and it allows us to prevail even in the painful place. You know what I'm saying? Like when I know the Lord is with me, um, 
I can prevail. You can prevail because the Lord is with you. You know, I recall the, the great apostle's words that he gave to believers who were locked into the Roman world as slaves. Now, the Greco-Roman system of slavery was slightly different than, uh, you know, other forms of slavery. It's all evil. We've had it in our own country, reaping the repercussions of it even now. Uh, it was in the Egyptian world. That's what Joseph was experiencing. One of the things that Paul wrote to believers, because some of the believers in the early church were slaves in the Roman world. And he made this reminder. And the Lord spoke to them and said this, whatever you do, because it was by the power of the Spirit, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your human masters. Look at that. There is so much power in that statement, in this word. One, Paul says, was a choice that you have no power over, not now anyway. But the other is a choice that you can choose from the place of your own volition. And that's a decision that you make. And this we can say is what Joseph did. He chose to live this way and it affected every decision he made. He could not control his situation. His own brothers had sold him into Egyptian bondage. They had, they, then he had been bought by uh, an Egyptian named Potiphar. He had no control over that, but he could control his heart and his attitude and his actions. And he could live as one submitted to God. As God, as he saw God now here with him. And Joseph honored God in a foreign land and refused to wander into the land of Y. He could have lived there and finished his days in the land of Y, but he wouldn't do it. He, he, now he was soon to be hit with another roadblock that would require him to make a choice, a choice that would alter the course of his life. And in a way, human history, it would be a moment of decision. And we're going to sit with that Lord willing next week. But I want to go back to Philip Brooks, to that opening quote, if you recall it. And I want, to, I want to look at a few more things he said and put it up here. Brooks again said, character may be manifest, manifested in the great moments, but it is made in the small ones. But then Brooks went on to say, and let this sit with us. I do not pray for a lighter load. No, I pray for a stronger back. And then he said this, do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. I find these words humbling. Why? Because at times I have asked God, for a lighter load when I should have asked him for a stronger back. Yeah. I have asked the Lord to not give me more than I could handle when I should have asked for, for strength to handle what he was asking me to face. And that's a very different thing. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's not wrong to ask the Lord for a lighter load. It's not wrong to ask the Lord not to give us more than we could handle. I don't, I don't see that at all. I just see this as 
an even higher aspiration. And it looks a whole lot like Joseph. I mean, Lord, don't just, you know, Lord, don't lighten my load. I'm okay. Uh, I accept these responsibilities. Actually, what I'm asking you is for stronger back to carry that load. I, I, I want I want to bear the weight that you're asking me to bear. Don't let me shy away from it. Some of you, God's asking you to really step up big time. Let him, let him give you strength. He can do it. Don't pray for tasks that are just equal to what we, our, our powers are. Instead, ask God to give us the power we need to um, take care of the tasks that we have to face. Yes, that is a very different thing. Ah, I'm going to come back around. And yes, Laura, I see you would do this. You know, I'm going to come back around. We're going to pause for um, a quick time of, of giving. And uh, or at least just for me to remind you, uh, all of you just been amazing. You know, your ties, your offerings. You can do that online, of course. The app, some of you have been sending it in. You've been amazing. So many wonderful, beautiful, faithful people that are connected to this community. You, you live the life, you model it, but we're going to share the song, um, that, that we're connecting here. And it's a reminder about how his love is strong enough to carry us through the situations that we must face and to learn to adapt and prevail. So, uh, you know, let's share this. I'll come back around and then, uh, I want to close it out. I want to bless you. I want to bless us. Okay, so here we go.
Why should I worry? Why do I need to be afraid? No, you're with me. You know, Father, we do not ask for tasks equal to our powers. We, we ask for powers equal to our tasks. That's what we want. I know that these are complicated times. Some of us are really battling right now. Some of us are battling with anxiety. Some of us feel a bit dismayed. Some of us are pretty discouraged or intimidated by things or just we feel stuck or apathetic wherever we may be. Let us remember that the Lord is inviting us to lift up our eyes towards him, right? Lift up your eyes to lean into the Lord because uh, he's so good and he's so God and he wants us to so good and he wants us to so God. May your joy be full no matter what's going on. In fact, may this time make the reality of Jesus even more meaningful to you. And don't forget, you are loved, greatly loved. So may the Lord keep you spirit, soul, and body in Jesus' name.